turn to Galatians 5, 1-6 for today's scripture reading. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 825. Galatians 5, 1-6. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So I'd like to introduce our speaker today, um, Patek. Um, most of you probably know Patek from her ministry in Child Voice in Uganda. Um, but in addition to that, she's also a third-year seminarian student at Gordon-Conwell. Um, she served in um, many different ways in our church um, through her many years here, from ICF to youth ministry, uh, from teaching adult and Sunday schools, um, serving on CORE and, like, and many others. Uh, so please join me in welcoming Patek as she delivers a message for us today. For those of you who don't know me, I'm an avid basketball fan. I love watching basketball, playing basketball, anything basketball related will get me readily excited. How many of you love basketball? Or remember when you fell in love with basketball? Or another favorite hobby? For me, I remember I was in the fifth grade. I would go out at recess and go down to the courts and I'd watch the guys play ball. The dribble, the jump shot, the crisscross before the layup, a beautiful arc upon release with the perfect spin on it, swishing through the net. It's mesmerizing. I went down to the courts every day and stood on the edge of the court. Through middle school and high school, played on various teams. During lunch break, after school, Friday nights, I had posters of Shaq and Kobe, AI and Magic on my walls. I lived and breathed ball. Ball was life. Now you might be wondering, protect what does basketball have to do with Galatians? Well, while preparing for this sermon, I was reminded of one of my favorite movies, Coach Carter. And yes, it's a basketball movie. For those of you who don't know the movie, it's about a man named Coach Carter who goes back to his high school um, in a poor neighborhood in California. When he meets the team, he's dismayed by their attitudes and their play style, and he realizes they need a lot more than just someone to coach them on the court. He imposes a strict regime of written contracts and demands respectful behavior, dress code, community service, and good GPA. Earlier in the movie, prior to the clip we're about to see, he gives his players contracts. And in the midst of handing out the contracts, one of the players, Mr. Cruz, gets super upset and irritated and annoyed, gets verbally and physically aggressive to the coach, cursing at him and intimidating him. And in return, the coach asks him to leave the gym and bank up from the team. Later on in the movie, Mr. Cruz shows back up in the gym. Let's see what happens. Mr. Cruz, are you lost, sir? What I got to do to play? Mr. Cruz, you do not want to know the answer to that question. Now, as I was saying, as a team, we shot 56% from the line. 
From now on, before you leave my gym, you must pay an exit price of 50 made free throws before you can go. That's everybody. That's a lot of free throws. Okay, Mr. Cruz. Before you can play on this team, you owe me 2,500 push-ups and 1,000 suicides. Damn. Oh, and they must be completed by Friday. Today's flavor, offense. Now I'm talking. Now I have a sister. Her name is Linda. Linda is smart. She's political. Well, actually, she's radical. Linda's got a big afro. Linda is our pick-and-roll offense. Before we get into that, let's warm up. Give me a layup line. Let's go. Battle. I got him. I got him right here, right here. I'm open. I'm open. Yep, I'm out. I'm out. Come on. Let's get it. They call out them picks. Yeah, yeah. All right. See ya. Move up. Give up, Mr. Cruz. Go home. You know your task is impossible before Friday, right? Move! Walk it, walk it! Keep it, keep it! Coach Carter gave an impossible task, 2,500 push-ups and 1,000 suicides in a few days. There was no way he could freely walk back onto the team. He was in bondage to the impossible task. Unlike Mr. Cruz, we don't have contracts to be part of God's family. In fact, there used to be contracts, the Old Covenant, and this is what Paul is addressing and speaking into when he's speaking here. The reality for us today is that Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not be yoked again to slavery. Christ has set us free from bondage to allow us to live as free persons. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Most scholars say that this verse is the principal exhortation in Galatians to which all of the previous chapters have been leading up to. Paul wants the Galatians to hold on to their freedom and not to put their necks back under the Torah's yoke or any other law. We see Paul continuing to address the issues of freedom and slavery as he has already been doing and warning them in chapter 3 about adhering and enslaving to particular rules and regulations of days and seasons, contrasted to chapter 4 when he does the contrast of Sarah and Hagar, are you born of the free woman or born of the slave? And now he's enunciating the fact that believers in Galatia are already free. We should remember the context in which Paul is speaking. Paul is writing this letter to the Galatians, who are currently struggling with false teachers, Judaizers in their midst, going around Galatia and saying that following Jesus is not enough. That in addition to believing in the good news of Jesus, giving them new life and restoration of relationship with God, the Gentile converts to Christianity were also supposed to add circumcision on top of that. They were supposed to follow the Jewish community as prescribed by Moses and the Old Covenantal Law. 
They were trying to add to the gospel of grace by telling them that they needed to add something to their belief in Christ. Somehow Christ wasn't enough. Paul is addressing that there's a response to this gift of freedom, but that response is not to add something. Rather, it's to stand firm. They must protect and preserve. Can you go back a slide first? (laughs) They must protect and preserve the state of freedom that they have already received in Christ. This gift didn't come for free. It came at a cost as Jesus suffered and died, taking on our sin and nailing it to the cross. Stand firm, therefore. We have an objection upon receiving this gift. To hold on to it and do not throw it away. So it's like if you were swimming in a river. You can move forward, Michael. <laughs> um, it's as if you were swimming in a river and you're getting caught up by the current. And then the current is pulling you down. And you're trying to get out, but you can't get out. You're struggling. You're floundering and grasping for a way out. And someone throws you a lifesaver. Not the candy, but the kind you can actually hold on to. And once you hold on, you feel yourself rising up towards the water, towards the surface, and being pulled towards shore. Now you have two options. One, you can hold on to that ring, trusting that you'll be okay and be pulled to safety. Or two, you can doubt the person who threw you the ring. You can doubt that it will hold your weight. Or just feel like it's too hard, that you can't hold on any longer. But if you let go, you fall right back into the current of the river. And again, you're struggling without control. You're trapped again. This is the type of stand firm that Paul is talking about. To hold on to the freedom that Christ has given us. To trust that he has already given us freedom through his life, death, and resurrection on the cross if we choose to believe in him as our Lord and Savior. If we let go of the freedom, we fall back into slavery. Just like letting go of the lifesaver sucks you back into the current. You don't have any option out. Now, some might argue, if Christ has given us freedom... Is it possible to not always have this freedom? Paul explains that while Christ has done, has been done once and for all, we might not benefit from this free gift of freedom if we choose to allow ourselves to be yoked again. We might miss out on the benefits of this gift. Paul addresses this issue and most clearly states in verse 4, you are, you who are trying to be justified by the law, have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. The word alienated can also be translated as to sever or to cut off. He warns that you either have one or the other. You don't have both. You either have Christ or you have the law. And if you're seeking to be justified by the law, you are cut off from Christ, and Christ's gift of freedom has no value to you. Going back to the analogy of the life ring, once you open your hands to try to hold on or grasp something else to save you, you let go of the freedom that Christ already offered. The lifesaver might still be there, but you're not benefiting from it because you've chosen to hold on to something else. This is the reality for us today. Christ has set us free. Do we live and walk in this freedom? And if not, why not? Perhaps it's because we struggle similarly to the Galatians. So let's dig in a bit more to see what exactly Christ has set them free from and for what. Christ has set us free. Don't make it harder. 
Don't be burdened. He uses the phrase to be yoked again. You can move. There's a picture of a yoke where you can see it's to carry two oxen next to each other. And when you are in one side of the yoke, there's only space for one other thing. Is that Christ or is that the law that you're yoked to? Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that has value is Christ for what he has done and the freedom that we receive from him through the Spirit by faith. Everything else we do and try to do to make ourselves right before God is meaningless. Specifically, Paul is talking about the issue of circumcision. Now, circumcision is a religious practice by the men in the Jewish community, which demonstrated whether or not they were part of the family of God. It might be for our youth teams, there's a particular colored shirt you wear, depending on which team you're a part of. You'd wear the red team if you're on the Hopi team, a red shirt if you're on Hopi, blue if you're on Lynn, gray if you're getting ready to go to New York. But the color of your shirt, it only demonstrates what team you are in. You had to be invited by Stan or Jen to be a part of the team. And if shirts run out, they can still invite someone to be on the team, even if they don't have that color shirt, to demonstrate it. This is what Paul is trying to reinforce to the Galatians. That is not a matter of circumcision that defines whether or not they are free in Christ. But that for the Judaizers, they had already been circumcised because they had come out of the Jewish tradition. But it was what was going on in their hearts that Paul was trying to address, to show, are you free in Christ? He did not want the Gentile converts to be burdened again by the yoke of the law. We must pay attention to this, that adding circumcision to the gospel of Christ, that there's only one way to be righteous before God, and that is through Christ himself. We pay attention because Paul repeats himself four times in six verses, telling the Galatians, do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. This means it was a big deal in the church. In fact, many scholars believe that it was one of the most significant struggles for the Galatians, and one they should heed to be careful about returning to. Paul's already expressed concern in earlier chapters about trying to adhere to certain days and weeks, but he only mentions that once. This one he mentions four times. It's not just a slap on the wrist, but it's emphasizing what is wrong and the consequences if they were to follow it. The verses read, Do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You, who are trying to be justified by the law, have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Why is Paul bringing this up to them? Why is it so important? Remember, he's warning them not to listen to the false teachers, to the Judaizers. You see, the, we might be quick to judge and be like, why are you listening to false teachers anyways if they're false? But the Judaizers were also Jewish Christians who were seeking to follow Jesus. They were trying to follow him themselves the best way they knew how, but they also brought a lot of cultural and religious baggage along with them in their understanding of the gospel and their understanding of what it meant to be a disciple of Christ Jesus and to live out their faith. 
They were adding to the basic message of the gospel of Christ, freely given by grace, and making their own rules of what it meant and looks like to be a Christian. So I want us to stop for a minute and think, what would it look like for a Judaizer in our midst today? Do we have our own cultural expectations of what it means and looks like to be a part of the body of Christ? Perhaps for us, as an educated, fairly well-off congregation, that means reading our Bibles every day, digging into theological concepts from scholars, going to worship at Christian music concerts, and attending every single retreat or conference that's offered throughout the year as a mark of being a dedicated believer. But what would those standards mean for people in our communities who perhaps are illiterate, were stuck in a poor educational system, or lack the resources and funds to attend these Christian events, or consider taking a day off work, otherwise they won't break even and be able to support their families. Does that inherently mean that those who are wealthier and well-educated have an easier access to Christ, and others must strive to become more like us, to truly be disciples of Jesus? And what would the equivalent of circumcision be for us today? It's true we don't actively participate in the practice of circumcision for believers, but do we have our own set of rules and tasks that must be done to be known to be a Christian? Perhaps we are enslaving ourselves to a different law other than circumcision, and that that law and that yoke of slavery keeps us from benefiting from the freedom Christ has given us. Is it the slavery to be the perfect Christian? To have a checklist of how many days a week you go to church, how many days a week you read your Bible. doesn't matter if you skim over a verse or two and run out the door. You get the check mark for that day. Does it matter how many times you pray before a meal? If you have a full checklist at the end of the week, bingo, you're a perfect Christian. Is it slavery to say yes to every ministry that has ever mentioned they need help because we don't feel we can say no and still claim to love God and love his people? Perhaps we're enslaved to self-righteousness, keeping a mental list of what we do and don't do so we can reassure ourselves that we're right with God. I'm not saying worshiping God in community, at church, spending time in his word, praying, serving, or being mindful of our sinful nature are inherently bad things. They're actually things that can draw us closer to God and the intimacy of knowing him and being known by him. But like everything else in the world... The enemy takes what God designed for good and he twists it so that perhaps what used to be us going to church because we couldn't help but sing praises to Jesus out of love and thankfulness in our hearts has perhaps become showing up so no one asks where we were if we missed. Or perhaps it's coming so that our children can learn to love God the way we used to love God and wish we still did. Or what used to be an overwhelming desire of compassion and our hearts breaking for the brokenness of the world and needs of others, desiring for them to know God's love, perhaps has turned to feelings of obligation. If we don't say yes to serve, who will? Perhaps some of us are listening now and wondering, I don't struggle with any of these. Speak about that. What is it that perhaps our pride turns to that we want to be validated in every moment? But we need to be careful, too, like the Galatians, 
and not adding a list of burdensome tasks for ourselves for the sake to free ourselves. It will never work, and we'll never experience the freedom we desire. Remember our friend Mr. Cruz? I want us to go back and see what happened next. He shows back up in the gym. Let's see what happens. Mr. Cruz, I'm impressed with what you've done, but you came up short. You owe me 80 suicides and 500 push-ups. Please leave my gym. I'll do push-ups for him. You said we're a team. One person struggles and we all struggle. One player triumphs, we all triumph, right? I'll do some. I'll run suicides too. You see, Mr. Cruz couldn't accomplish the task on his own. In fact, he failed. The task was too great, too hard for him to reach on his own. But there was grace extended by his teammates. Through the love of them, they they picked up and covered his debt of suicides and push-ups that he couldn't do on his own. Out of love. They loved him so much they wanted him to be back on the team. And you know what? They could extend that love because they hadn't been subjected to the yoke of the impossible task. They had freedom to love and to act in their freedom. We can learn from this example of the teammates because they give us a glimpse of what it looks like when Christ freely gave us life by covering our debts. The grace of God allowed the love of Christ to pay off what we still owed, even though he owed nothing. Christ's gift of freedom to us came at a cost for himself. He suffered a torturous death, not for anything he did, but for what humanity had done, for what we have done, and what we will do. He died for us. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, He was resurrected from the dead, bringing forth life from death, beauty from ashes, freedom from bondage, for all of those he came to save. The chains we once had binding us to the old covenant of laws were broken once and for all. We should not create new chains to go back on where Jesus has already given us life through his love. The gift of freedom came at a cost. And we need to remember this amazing gift of love.
So why should we reject this offer of love and grace in order to try to accomplish anything on our own? And now that we've received this grace and this gift of freedom, what do we do with it? Christ has set us free. Don't make it harder for yourselves. Rather, we need to live out love. We need to live out our faith that we are truly free. And this faith in the God of life, who's given us freedom, can be expressed through love. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. We have an option to follow Jesus out of duty and obligation or out of a sense of freedom. What is seen on the outside doesn't matter. It's what's in the heart. And are we motivated to act out of obligation or are we motivated to act out of love and thankfulness of the freedom Christ has given us? We're called to live out our faith expressed through love. I remember I shared with you a bit about my own love for basketball. I want to take us back there to show you something God taught me about this lesson to remember his freedom and to not be burdened and to live out love. For me, I loved basketball and it was a beautiful thing. I loved the sport, grew in friendships with teammates. I loved running down to the court because I couldn't wait to play. But over time, my love for basketball became this dark desire that I believed I wasn't a good enough of a player. I started to force myself to do things to become a better one. I started to believe if I could run faster, I'd be appreciated more by my teammates. And the drive to run faster led to a drive to eat less, to work out harder, to start vomiting after practices and every meal. Because I thought by doing those things, I could change myself and my game and be more loved. The reality is that doesn't work, so don't try it. The eating disorder I developed did start to change me, but not for the better. It started to change me. It enslaved me of what I would and wouldn't do, what I would and wouldn't eat, who I'd spend time with, how I acted, what I thought about myself, and what I thought others and God thought about me. I went into overdrive for practice, and underdrive for nourishment and authenticity. It started affecting other areas of my life as it developed this sense of shame and guilt, and I just wanted to hide. I wanted to lie, to cover up, to put on a good front, to pretend nothing was wrong. I just felt like if I kept with it a little longer, I'd break through to be the person I wanted to be. Over the years, it got so bad that it started taking over, and I no longer had control of it, but it had control of me. I lost my love for basketball, and I started, all I cared about were these rules of eating and working out. I had trapped myself. Thankfully, God met me in that moment of weakness. He met me where I needed him most. He spoke to me while I was in the bathroom choking one day, and I wondered if I'd pass out on the floor. And I cried out to him, knowing I'd heard about him in Sunday school, wondering if he was really there. It was in that moment he reminded me of truths I had heard about in scripture, in Sunday school, but never knew what to do with. He said, Patek, what are you doing to yourself? Don't you know that I need you? Don't you know you are fearfully and wonderfully made? Don't you know that your body is my temple? My spirit dwells in you? Why are you doing this? Don't you know I already died for you so that you can live? For me, I'd created my own standards of what I needed to do to be accepted by others and be accepted by God and to be more loved and be a better ball player. 
But God told me I had already been bought at a costly price. And that I didn't need to do anything except to give up control and let him be in control. I had to receive his grace and his love for me and his gift of freedom. The pattern in my life did change everything, starting with my walk. Because he not only renewed my love for basketball, but more importantly, he set me free from the dark cloud to love him because I knew his love for me. And to learn to love others because I wanted them to know the love he had shown me. If I felt unloved and didn't know Christ's love for me, how might others feel? I'd been reading my Bible, as I was told to, but I started to have a desire to want to know this God who said he loved me. What was he like? And who is he that he says this? And I also was blessed by the community around me. I'd struggled not feeling good enough or beautiful enough, but people saw me as Jesus saw me. People who were free by the love of Christ were able to speak Christ's love to me and speak life to me. They were able to be Christ's reflection to me and be part of that journey of leading me to him and to his love and freedom. Imagine with me, what would it look like if as a community we lived our lives walking confidently with the freedom Christ has given us? What would it look like here amongst us if each of us loved others the way Christ loved us? Not out of obligation, but out of freedom. Not out of a sense of responsibility, but out of an overflow of the love we have received and continually are renewed by through his Holy Spirit on a daily basis. What would our communities understand about Jesus if we spoke with our lives more than our words? And when we did use words, if our words spoke of God's freedom, grace, and love. We must remember, Christ has set us free. Do not be burdened again, but to live out love. For me, it was trying to be someone I was not, and I lost my love. For Mr. Cruz, he failed the task to get himself back on the team. The list of to-dos was too great, and it was only through the love and grace of his teammates that he was able to be free from the heavy weight upon him. There was freedom to be found when someone else carried the burden. And this is true for us with Christ. We have been set free by Christ. So why are we making it harder on ourselves? But there is still a response to this freedom. And it is to make sure that we hold on to this freedom for ourselves and also that we do not set lists of rules and expectations upon others to conform to a cultural version who they are not. But rather, we should express our understanding of this freedom through how we live. To live out love. Love for God and thankfulness for Christ for all he has done for us, who has set us free. And love for our neighbor. To see them and know them and love them and share this incredible gift of love and freedom offered by Christ alone, other than placing spoken or unspoken rules and regulations and expectations on them. If we have a list to do's for ourselves, we're going to have that same list for others and we're going to judge them by that same list. But if we are overwhelmed by the gift of God's love and freedom in our hearts, we will live and act out that love. And that love will be a demonstration of our faith in Christ and the freedom Christ has given to us all. So I want us to spend some time in reflection and prayer as 
Bonin comes up to, sh- to play a bit, we'll be spending some time thinking about some questions. Michael, if you can go to the next slide. I want us to think and spend some time. What has God been bringing up in your hearts? And maybe spend some time confessing as well as praising him for what he has done. So... Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you for the gift of love that you've given us through your Son, Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the gift of freedom that you have freely given to us when we call upon you as our Lord and Savior. Lord, would you remind us each day of your freedom and of your life and of your love that we have in you. And would you shake off the chains and the other things we try to grasp to try to be right before you. Lord, would others come to know you through the gift of love and grace that you've given us, that they too might be free in you with new life in you, Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.